what is going on ladies and gentlemen welcome back to another edition of the jays for days podcast i'm josh he's josh we got jays jumpers jaron jackson jr john Moran, joe johnson's jaw raps of course we've got jays we got for days josh how you doing i am ready to watch the poor u.s men's national team play in columbus followed by canada followed, followed by minnesota, by minnesota. Yes. Like now, the 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 answer to why they're doing it is because you know they're playing Central American countries that you know it's been years since they've been anywhere that's colder than seventy four degrees. So it, and then of course they go and play Canada. So Canada is just kind of like it's it cold everywhere in Canada at this point. So it's not like they can gym, but like if like the United States should be like, yeah, let's play in Miami and where it's a normal temperature for soccer. But instead, I don't even know what the, what the temperature in Columbus is today, but it is, I guarantee you not warm. I guarantee nope. it's not warm. I think it's single <laughs> digits. <laughs> that is, and I was as the, producer of the esteemed soccer Saturday here in Indianapolis, listening to Greg Rakestraw say that he, that it's, it's a little ridiculous that the U S is allowed to do that, to be honest with you, a little ridiculous, but he also said that CONCACAF is just a, he said, you know, that things aren't good with something when it's also a verb and it's really a noun. (laughs) Yes. And, and so he says, it's not surprising, but yes, the fact that (laughs) the fact that, the United States would be like, yeah, you know what? Come on up. We'll host you in four degree weather for this. And it's not even like, like the, the teams they're playing, not named Canada are like at the very bottom of their group. Like, it's not like they really need the extra advantage, but they're doing it anyways. Right. And it's not like you got to protect your home field advantage. Okay. Mexico, you can't play in the, in the Southern part of the country. You can't do it. Mm -hmm. Right. We can just, that's conversation for a different day. You can't do it. Mm-hmm. That game needs to be played in Columbus or Chicago or something. These right. ones you're fine anywhere. Because if yeah, you play it in Houston, like you might you actually be, you might actually be people who descend from the United right. States. Descend, yes, from the United States might actually be at a minority in your in the country, right. and then that's that defeats the point of home field advantage. But right, right. And, and last night I was having a conversation in which we turned the verb. You wore the CONCACAF into an adjective as well, or an adverb. Adjective? Ad, ad. They acted CONCACAFly? It, it gets CONCACAFy enough, and so throwing the <laughs> in there makes it even more CONCACAF. So I guess it's just a verb, or an adjective. I suppose so. I think so. But yes, yeah, you can use that word it just about any way you want. <laughs> I'm excited, uh, though. This is going to be fun. I'm, I'm excited to watch, you know, the U S men's national team, try not to let everybody down again. It's very exciting. It's one of my favorite, you know, biannual triannual uh, practices is seeing is, is seeing if the, you know, the United States men's national soccer team can find a way to not make it to the world cup. It's impressive. It, 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 it truly is. But uh, if, if nothing else, we get to laugh at them and how cold it is while we sit inside in temperature-controlled <laughs> environments. But this is, this is not a soccer podcast. It's not a soccer podcast. This is a basketball podcast. At least that's the rumor. 
Um, first of all, I have to rant about something for like 12 seconds. Okay. Are you ready? This is also, this is closer to the topic the subject matter, but not all the way there. Um, so the SB Nation Grizzlies site posted a story basically about how John Morant is one of one. And like, yes, I think that's a, probably a pretty fair thing to suggest. But the tweet they made said, John Morant the first, comma, Soon to be all star starter for the Memphis Grizzlies. Now, if you say that quickly, it sounds like John Morant, the first soon to be all star starter for the Memphis Grizzlies. Mm -hmm. And that's just not true. Because Marcus All started for the Western All Star team in 2015, not all that long ago. And there's an issue in Memphis right now that we're so busy trying to be, it's, it's almost like we've forgotten about like, like the reason that people treat their, the Grizzlies like this now is because of all the groundwork that was laid by the grit and grind era. Mm -hmm. Anyways, it just seems like we're so, and, and it's all super exciting. And does this team have a better chance of winning a, a, a finals, you know, an NBA title eventually than the other one did? Yeah, probably because, most of the time you need to have the absolute best player on the floor to win a title. And John Morant can absolutely be that at some point in the next, you know, five to seven years. Right. Um, if not, if not sooner than that. So like, I will, I, I'll concede that, but this idea that like, like Marcus Hall's name wasn't even mentioned in the article and it was five years ago. Yeah. They've and, and that, and, and sitting here on January, on January 27th, 2022, this current team hasn't done anything near as good. That other team went to the Western Conference Finals. So can we can we pump the brakes a little bit on how all time that this era of the Grizzlies is when it's not even the most impressive era of the Grizzlies yet? And it's and it's a singular season, right? <laughs> now they were okay last year, but right those Grizzlies teams, the Great and Grind teams, were good year in and year out. And, and they should they look like they'll continue to be good yeah, and they'll probably yeah. be good next year even better next year right so like this is not a i this is like i would love for this era of the grizzlies to end up being better than that era of the grizzlies that would be awesome but it seems like we're in such a hurry for that to be the case that we forget to just like pay a little bit of respect a little bit of respect this is, he's going to be the fourth all-star right both casals and zebo yes that is correct I don't think Battier was ever an all star. I think that I think that's I what think. I what I saw. I kind of forgot that. Yeah, yeah. There there were it was, it was basically basically those two players, but there were some a series of all star appearances there, which I kind of forgot about because mm -hmm. just our relationship. It was much more about the fact that Mike Conley never got there. Right. But yes, so, they did. They did have representation in the all star game. So. With all due respect, and I. I hope it happens that it's like, yeah, that grit and grind team was absolutely the second best, but this era is just like blowing them out of the water. That would be incredible. Okay. But um, I'm not exactly as excited to run away from the, from the previous era as everybody else seems to be right now. Anyways, now this really is a college basketball podcast and we really are going to talk about college chips. It's been a, a pretty good middle of the week here. Um, it started on Monday. Again, we're not going to talk too much about all I'll say about this double overtime game between Kansas and Texas Tech is that 
so there were four players in the entire game across both teams that had more than four field goals. Four in a game that had 50 minutes of action and 185 points. Only four players had more than four field goals. On the Texas Tech side of things, it was Bryson Williams who had 33 on 14 of 19 shooting. That dude might be the best player. He's going to be in Bill Self's nightmares when Bill Self finally retires. That dude, every time he plays Kansas, it's 30-plus. He was very impressive. And then Kevin Obener had 17 and 8 on 6 of 8 shooting. And Darren, not Darren, Davion, excuse me, Davion Warren had 15 on five of nine. So those, those three guys had five or more for Texas Tech. Nobody else on Texas Tech's roster had more than two. Terrence Shannon Jr. and Kevin McCuller combined to go two of 21 from the floor. And then on the other side, it's even more impressive. Ochak Baji was 13 of 23, <laughs> seven of 12 from the three-point line. He had 37, just ridiculous. I mean, like if we look back and Ochai Baji ends up winning national player of the year, like that's the, that's his buddy healed game. You remember the mm-hmm. buddy healed yep. double oh, yeah. time game yep. for Oklahoma, yep. same kind of, same yep. kind of game. Like yep. if he wins it, we'll look back and be like, yeah, that's like the, that's, that's like the, okay, where's his blow you out of the water performance. And it'll be this one. And he got, um, and he hit the shot at the end too, to cap it all off. He's got the game right. and the moment. Yep. Right. Um, and then Christian Brown was the only other player with more than three field goals for, for Kansas. Anyways, so the Jayhawks death taxes and Kansas finding ways to win every single big 12 game they play when they're actually good enough to win them all. Right. Um, Baylor hanging around all of these things that we expect to be happening. But apart from that was the thing that I was like, you had these two incredible performances and a couple more from Texas tech that were really solid. But like, other than that, it's like, Oh, mm. neither team shot better than 46% from the field. Neither team shot better than 34 and a half percent from the three point line. Just a ton of points when you get to play that, that many minutes, <laughs> but anyways, so that was a, that was a really good one to start the week in the big 12. But on Tuesday, we got a we got something that we've been really longing for since UCLA got sort of run out of the gym by Gonzaga. We've been waiting for UCLA to play one of these other like top 10 caliber teams that they were supposed to play. Um, specifically Arizona. We've been waiting out forever for the for these two teams to play. And we finally got it on on Tuesday night. And the Bruins, they took care of business. 75-59, from the field, held Arizona to only 30% from the field, shot 50, 47% from the three-point line, a very balanced performance. Nobody had nobody in the starting lineup had more than 15, but nobody in the starting lineup had less than nine. Tiger Campbell was nine, four, and three on four of seven shooting. The rest, you got, you know, 15 from Johnny Juzang on like a – subpar night quite frankly from him in terms of efficiency but jules bernard 15 on 7 of 11 uh hamiak as junior 10 points and cody rally had 12 and uh not a great night from the floor maybe perhaps the is 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 kurt chris's 
0 of 12, the worst performance of the college basketball season. Like it's impressive to play 35 minutes, take 12 shots and have zero points. Oh, yeah. From the three point line. And like, it's not like Benedict Mathurin was that much better, but um, so there's the nuts and bolts, the news and notes from this game, 75, 59. And we might have to take a moment of silence for Kirk Rissa. Yeah, that was, I mean, you gotta give him credit. He kept shooting. They need him to keep shooting. That's what he does. They just didn't go in. <laughs> it makes me, I, and, and I didn't get to see a ton of this game. So, but the, you know, the most recently that I was in a building for a college basketball game was the IU Notre Dame game during the Crossroads Classic. And I was there for the Butler Purdue game as well, but that was the most, that was technically the more recent game. And in that particular night, um, Xavier Johnson, the IU guard, it took him like eight tries to make a three. And like, it got to the point where he was like, he was no hesitation. And eventually he finally made one, but it got to the point where with IU fans in the building, that it was a combination of, and just the people in the building, it was a combination of, of laughter from anybody there, not rooting for IU. Booze from IU fans and just like people yelling at him because of it was hilarious it was like and it was such an interesting it was laugh out loud funny the the sort of collective response from because Xavier Johnson is just like not that great of a three-point shooter and has never also never seen a three-pointer he doesn't like the look of this guy went 0 of 12 and he's still shooting 0 of 9 from the three-point line and he's still shooting 38 and a half percent from the three-point line this year so clearly something that Right. Of course, this is what he does for Arizona. So it's a little different. You'd like him to keep shooting, but uh, nonetheless, he six assists did find a way to impact the box score, but uh, 0 of nine from the three point line. Is, you know, is, you know, that four tough. of them are, you know, that four, at least four of them are going in when they play. Right. <laughs> at least. Absolutely. Fair bit of them. But, but when he, when that happens for him and Chris is a guy that was averaging you know, 11 points per game coming in. Benedict Mathurin got to 16 points, but it took him 22 shots to yeah, get it there. Yeah, wasn't, wasn't it was, it was not pretty. He, and like, thank the Lord, he went 50% from the three-point line because it could have pretty easily looked even worse. But he knocked down three of his six three-pointers that he took, finished with 16 and 10, but it was, it was certainly not pretty. Um, you got a collective team effort from the best players of UCLA's team and uh, an inefficient night from the likes of the best players on, on Tommy Lloyd's squad. And then the result is when that happens between two good teams, the one of those good teams is probably going to win by, by a dozen or so. Yeah. The combination of those, those two guys scoring who are obviously your best player and your third offensive option then you've got Tubelis coming off of this injury where he's not even starting yet. He's still kind of – he was – he did some good things, but you, he was clearly not at 100%. And all that led to one of the two conclusions I came away from this game with, which was very simply, Arizona's defense is good enough to win a national championship. It cannot carry them to one. When they have a stinker offensively, it is tough to watch. 
It's the second time they've happened. They've lost both games and lost both games fairly handily. They had 59 points on 75 shots. I mean, that's just brutal. And going on the road, Benedict Matherin has been arguably the best road player in college basketball this year. When he doesn't have a good game on the road, they are in trouble because they are much, the rest of that team is much more comfortable playing at home, which is understandable and totally normal. But yeah, you're not walking into Pauly when Matherin struggled the way he did, when you're a little banged up, your three point shooter isn't hitting threes. And the other side of this for me is the way UCLA played defense, the way that UCLA looked overall was one of the first times this year I went, ah, that's the team that nearly made the national title game and was playing like a final four caliber team at the end of last season. Hadn't seen that in a while, partially because the COVID pause, partially because they haven't had a high level game in a little bit. They looked pretty good against Villanova. Obviously, you had the stinker against Gonzaga. They, they haven't gotten to that level consistently this season. But this is a reminder. It is there. <laughs> they were really, really good. And when Juzang and Campbell kind of struggled in the second half, all of a sudden, here comes Jaime Hawkes to sort of see this thing out. And that was – those were the two – big things for me and Arizona just quite frankly didn't look ready to go toe-to-toe with a a really good team and I know that I know they beat Illinois who's had a sort of strange season with all the ins and outs of their lineup this was this was why I was holding off on Arizona I'm not going to say that I was right because I thought that they would show up more than they did they just had a bad game on the wrong night but this is that step that I'm still not convinced they can take that they're going to need to, to be able to make a final four. UCLA has shown they can in the big games in particular, for the most part, they show up. And the other thing is, is that they, they get one other of these opportunities. It's not like, it's, it's not like, like if you play in the PAC 12 and you have an issue showing up in big games and you need to learn how to show up in big games against really good teams, the Pac-12 is a really tough place to try and figure out how to do that. Yep. Because, I mean, UC, USC is still a top 15 team in the country, but, like, you know, it, it's still a very good team, but also a team that has a loss to Stanford and a loss at home to Oregon. So, like, a team that is good, but nobody's talking about USC being the elite of the elite in the sport. Um so, you know, say that to say that it's not like, right, because if you're Texas Tech in the Big 12, you get to play Kansas and Baylor and Texas and the Fighting Porter Mosers, and you get to go to Hilton Coliseum and play Iowa State. And, like, all of a sudden, like, you can play six or seven games that, like, really test you in a, like, 17-day window, right? <laughs> right. And Arizona has played – well, let's look at their schedule. They've played – we'll throw Illinois, Tennessee and UCLA. Like that's literally where it's January. It's almost February yep. and they've played three games that have truly tested them. Now, if they had not gone on a COVID pause, they'd have played UCLA and USC already at this point. So it's a little skewed, but the point is still the same that it's not like they're getting a ton of chances to as a 
right? As a team that's clearly very good with a coach that I will certainly go to bat for, it's still, you know, winning at the highest level is certainly still a process. Um, I will stand by the fact that I think they are good enough to win a national championship, but you're right. There seems to be a find a way to not get smacked in the mouth the way that they have against right because they're da- they were down by 11 at halftime in this game and against Tennessee they were down by 13 at halftime now they won the second half by 9 against Tennessee and they only lost the second half here by 5 so things seem to be uh, once they sort of get their wits about them things seem to be a little bit more under control but it's the second time in as many games against really good teams that you felt like maybe they weren't quite ready, which is fine. But if they're going to win a national championship, of course, and that includes winning six straight games or even winning four straight to get to the final four, you got to be ready right from the beginning because in the tournament, if you're not ready right from the beginning, you lose in the first round. Like that's just kind of how it works. And they were sloppier than usual. They just just didn't look – both teams were shooting the lights out at the beginning and then neither could – score and then at that point Arizona just it was sloppy the other thing which again this is a road game that you're not supposed to win it's not that they lost it's the way it looked and this trend that is starting to develop the other thing I will say though that is probably my it is my other big concern moving forward and it's the difference between these two teams I'm not convinced Arizona can live up to their potential on nights that any that basically the Benedict Matherin isn't the best player on the floor or at least their best player there is no plan b in that sense and he's been terrific this season he's a terrific player right you have these halves from Johnny Juzang where Johnny Juzang can't miss and you have the halves where Johnny Juzang can't hit the broadside of a barn but it's okay because it's Tiger Campbell taking control for 10 minutes it's Jaime Hawkes, it's Jules Bernard, it's Cody Riley, it's whoever. And then Juzang comes in and hits five straight shots because you can't guard him because he got hot again. Or he can right, shoot 33% from the field and it's fine. And it's the same, right? Baylor's got the same situation. Kansas, maybe. <laughs> Abaji is clearly the guy, but you have a Christian Brown, you have a, a Jalen Wilson, Gonzaga, You've got some, right? It can be Chet Holmgren. It can be Drew Timmy, Andrew Nemhard. They're reliant on Timmy, but that's the other thing that I'm getting worried about Arizona is can, can they beat the best teams in the country when Benedict Matherin is okay and not special? Because some of these other teams at the top of the sport have the ability and have multiple guys and Yes, Arizona has some really good players, and we haven't even mentioned Christian Coloco and what he does defensively. They just they just all seem to be, and I, I don't like using this term because I don't mean it as a criticism, but complementary players where everything just sort of feeds off of matter in a way that, particularly for UCLA, that's just not the case because of the, the way their roster is constructed. And, and that is... Right. Like you said, that's not a knock because 97% of the teams in the country, if not more, have 
one good player that's clearly the best player on this team and a bunch of complimentary guys. And when that guy is not at the top of his game, they'll lose to teams that are of comparable quality to them. And the thing that separates, like you said, but like even like on nights, like I'm not a as big of a UCLA fan on nights that Johnny Juzang goes six of 18. Now the other guys showed up, but like, it just as easily could have been that that Krista knocks down four three-pointers on this night and it's a little different, right? So mm-hmm. my, right, on this particular night, and UCLA from top to bottom probably has a few more guys that at their position you don't feel are quite as, to put it as you did, complimentary. But the thing that makes Gonzaga so good and the thing that makes... Auburn so good and the thing that makes throw any other team up there you know Baylor so good is that like to your point that when one guy isn't playing well you don't feel like it's quite as quite as big of a deal and maybe it's just because he has been so good like there might also be some of that that to the point where it's so that it's it's a little bit like wait wait Benedict never does this wait wait what I mean, apart from his six-point performance against the Sacramento State Hornets in a game which they won by 50, <laughs> like he and and the in the Roman main event against Northern Arizona Lumberjacks, where he had eight, he's been pretty spectacular everywhere else. Mm-hmm. Now he's in a little bit of a stretch that you could almost like you could almost maybe see this coming a little bit because he's been fine against in their last four games, just not nearly as good, right? He had this stretch where he had 29, 30, 24, 30, 14, 28, 27. Has been not quite as good like super recently, but maybe it's just a yeah, we haven't had a like we haven't had a day where we really needed everybody else to show up against a really good team yet because against Tennessee, he had 28 against Illinois. He had 30. So it, this was sort of the first time that Arizona was put in this position against a really high quality team from a, we really, really need production from everywhere else because Benedict just doesn't quite have it tonight. And it's, it's not that their players, the rest of their team is worse than UCLA's. It's just, they're sort of built differently. And Auburn, I was, that's another really good example, right? At any given moment, Jabari Smith could go on a 10-0 run, as could Katie Johnson, as could Wendell Green. They have all a Walker Kessler could get two dunks and a block and three rebounds in a two-minute span. They have all of these. Of course, at the end of the day, it's going through Jabari Smith. He is the most talented player on that team. But there are these guys who, because they're so they're sort of specialized but also multi-dimensional at the same time which I know doesn't make sense but they do and Katie Johnson is more just a, a microwave scorer but he can shoot the ball he can get to the basket obviously Kessler plays both ends of the floor you have these guys who can just be the best player on the floor for a couple minutes and can make up for the fact that Jabari Smith has a stinker like he did and they still survived against Missouri I'm just not I need to see that from Arizona's 
can Tubelis go and take over a game from the post for five minutes and score 12 points on eight possessions or something like that? Those moments where you go, oh, he is, he is the star right now, as opposed to just kind of quietly picking up these, you know, accumulating stats and putting together this really good season he's having. That's, that's the specific thing that's concerning me is I, can somebody go in there and stop the bleeding essentially, or make up for the fact that, right. But Matherin's not having a great game. Can somebody else say, okay, I've, I've got it. Mm-hmm. That's maybe the answer is just no. Yeah, it could be. And, 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 and maybe that'll be, or maybe the answer to that question will dictate just how good we feel yeah. about Arizona when we yep. get to, when we get to the tournament. They've, and let's, this game made me more excited to see they're even more excited to see the rematch too. Let's see what happens yeah. when they get them at home. How does it look? Have they learned some things? Because this is why you play tough games. Mm-hmm. This team is clearly immensely talented. I'm still having a hard time getting over the mental hurdle of these guys have been nowhere near a final four before. Sure. So let's see if they can, can learn from it and get that figured out before they got to make a final four. You know what's impressive is when two teams both fail to score 57 points, but also manage to win each one and a half by 13 points or more. <laughs> That's pretty tough to because usually it's like a we shot the lights out in the first right, half right. kind of thing. Yep. And we kind of let off the brakes, and the other team knocked down seven threes in the second half. So they won the second half 50 to 34, but we ended up winning you know, 86 to 81 because we were just ahead by so many. That was not the case on Tuesday night inside the State Farm Center in Champaign, Illinois. Also, can we talk about that for a second? Can I, have I ever told you that I hate that there are college gyms that have corporate names? Have I yes. told you that before? I think we've talked about this before. Like that is so, like, like especially, and I don't know the history of the naming rights of the state farm center but like if at one point it was called like the importance athletic director administrator center and you changed it to state farm center just so that state farm would pay you to put their name on it i got issues with that like like what if in at the end of the season butler announced that it was going to be like the hinkle Fieldhouse presented by gamebridge i'd be i'd be so upset and they're not going to do even though gamebridge is absolutely taking just like taking over the city of Indianapolis. It's just everything's going to, it's going to be the Gambridge. It's going to be Gambridge stadium. (laughs) Right. Right. Well, like it's already presenting sponsor for the 500. It's now the title sponsor for the building in which the Indiana Pacers play in at some point it'll be, you know, Gambridge stadium where the Colts play, like they're, they're taking over the place. You're going to work at Gambridge. You're going to work, work at Wish TV presented by Gamebridge at some point. They're just going to take it all. They're going to take it. They're going to take it all over. Um. Anyways, side tangent apart from that. What uh? What look did you just give me there? Can I guess? Well, yeah, it's actually related to this tangent we're going on. Oh, never mind. What I saw is that Ben Roethlisberger retired this. Oh, morning. yes, yes. I did see that, and also Stephen A. and his thank God response being the other thing on the front page of ESPN makes me a little sad. It makes me sad how important what he says is to just the sports world. But anyways, um, I'm much more intrigued by your thing because when you make that face to your phone, it must be something pretty good. At least it's, it's not, 
shocking, but uh, the Chicago Bears have hired a coach. Who did they? Is it Flores? No, no, no. It's related to what we were talking about. Wait, 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 wait. It's not Lovey Smith, is it? No. Okay. Well, he's the Illinois <laughs> head coach. He, he was. I he mean, was... That, that, that's fair. Be- before so that, that, before that was... actually after Illinois, after Illinois, you're going back too far. The Texans? No, you mentioned that you mentioned the state is going to give it away, but you mentioned the stadium. This guy most recently was coaching in. Wait, Lucas Oil Stadium? Yes. Eberflus? Yeah. Wow. That's why I made the face. We don't need wow. to discuss it further. Yes. There's that your breaking news today. Really? Well, I guess when you're, I guess when you turn, you know, force almost what was it almost 40 turnovers i guess then you become a pretty hot i i mean i I'm, i wouldn't exactly be jumping for joy if that was who my team hired but you know it checks out anyways okay back to what, what were we talking about we we're talking about illinois and michigan State. yeah yes. <laughs> right two two halves neither yes, of which two halves. it was it was awful offense an okay offense. <laughs> yes. Yes. The first half, Illinois won the first half by 14, only scoring 34 points. That's impressive. Shouts to Michigan State. And then Michigan State won the second half by 13 points, only scoring 35 points. Well done, Illinois. Yeah. But in the end, it's a 56-55 win for the Fighting Illini. And in a game in which, not unimportantly, they did not have their All-American center in Kofi Coburn. And that was, you know, kind of the narrative of, the, of their Rocky start is that they didn't have Coburn. Um, they only turned the ball over seven times and, um, and also no, no Andre Corbello in this mm-hmm. one either. Yep. They find a way to get a win against a Michigan state team that I think is, is very much good. They clearly tried to give it away. They tried really, really hard to give it away, but, Nonetheless, a good win for Brad Underwood's squad. What say you? Yeah, if, I, if I'm Tom Izzo, I'm just looking at this going, yeah, if we would have run anything if we were definitely competent up, offense in the first half. Well, well, okay, this game started at 7. If they would have shown up at 7.24 instead of 7, instead of 8 o'clock when the second yeah. half started, they would have won the game. Yeah, it, they, it they could have been seven thirty. It could have been like halfway through the first yeah, half. Yeah. They showed up at that point. Yeah. They would probably would have won the game. It was it was everything as a Michigan State fan you fear. The turnovers, the disjointedness, the the please God, why can't we get a real point guard into this building? Right. It or was, at least a one that's not coming from Northeastern. Is that where Tyson Walker came from? Yeah. Yeah. I guess Northeastern. It was just one of those halves where everything went wrong. Uh-huh. To their credit, they kept fighting. They got back in the game, and they were the – I mean, if you play this game ten times, they win at least eight. I would put it at nine, which is not a slight to Illinois because, like you said, Illinois' most two best and most important players, maybe not best, at least their most two important, weren't there. And they did enough to survive at the end. They got a nice break when Lee Hall missed one of the two free throws. But they did, they, to their credit, they played like a team that had to have this game because they did, right? In the race in the Big Ten, it's not fair, 
they got put in a bad spot where they've got this relatively tough stretch of games coming up. We talked about last podcast and Coburn may or may not be available for him. He, it certainly didn't seem like he was going to be available for this one. Obviously he wasn't, but you're in trouble if you want Michigan state come into your building and win that game. It's just the reality of the situation. And so, yeah, Trent Frazier was really good. They got enough from the, the guys who needed to step up and they played really good defense. And so if you're Brad Underwood, you got to be pretty pleased with this. And obviously at the end of the day, all you, their season has been so strange because of the in and outs of the lineups of Coburn and Corbello that I'm just kind of to the point of just, if you win, I don't care, get us healthy to the tournament. I trust this team. I believe in this team. They're going to be really difficult to deal with if they're at full strength by the time it matters, whatever you can, if you can just find a way to hold on and stay in this race, good for you, because that is more than should be expected considering the season they've had, but here they are sitting at the top of the big 10 again. And all that to say, I'm also terrified by every time, like even when Curbelo is there, it's like Curbelo could be like the best guard on the floor. Or it's like, Oh my God, just take the ball away from him, please. And there are times where like, they don't look super duper spectacular even when they do, but it is regardless of how I feel about them. I, my rambling is to say that regardless of that, they've still found a way to be seven and two halfway through big 10 play. And that's something that by definition, nobody else has been able to do yet. Now, most guys, most teams, they're one of the few teams that has actually played nine conference games at this point. And I'm sure other teams are, will catch up throughout this right the the back half of this week but still um even through all of that they found a way so regardless of how you feel about them we're still at the point where like yeah here they are at seven and two first in the big 10 and that's with Coburn only playing 14 games that's with Curbelo only playing six and there not being a ton of continuity from just a who you put on the floor to start the game night in night out and they're still finding a way to to do it so if nothing else you like yeah win games without Curbelo cool win games without Coburn when you have Curbelo cool beating a top 10 team in Michigan State and a team that's been around that spot pretty much all year once they've gotten there doing it without either of them is is uh something to take note of regardless of if it was pretty or not, and if they looked strong throughout the entire game. And in Cabello's defense, I'm sure it's difficult because he hasn't sure. gotten the right. He was dealing with the concussion, then he was out because of the he's had a, a tough and it just he hasn't been able to actually play eight games in a row in you know right two, three weeks. Mm-hmm. So I'm sure that's part of this for Brad Underwood is if we can just get through this and get our guys on the floor healthy heading into the big 10 tournament so that we've got some games under our belt heading into the NCAA tournament. This is probably going to look different. I am very, very high on this team. I stick by, I stick by my belief that when healthy, they are the best team in the conference. And and when, (laughs) and, and really what I'm poking Curbella, like he, yes, he's only played eight, what I say, six, eight, but like also against Purdue, he had 26 and three and no turnovers. Yeah. He, so had, like, right. he also he has special. the nights where it's like, oh, wow. He's like, yeah. well, he was really, really good against, yes, a team that is 
tr- terrible perimeter when it comes to perimeter to defense. So it kind of checks out, but the point still stands yeah. that like there, there are other times where he, I'm sure Brad Underwood just wants to pull his hair out with decisions. Right. It's a, you just got to embrace it all. It's an experience. Yes. Yes. It is anything else on, on, on that game or the big 10 in general. No. Can we talk about some other guards that were really good though? Yeah, talk to me. Which ones? Uh, where are we bouncing? Are we bouncing? Are we going to Xavier Providence? Yeah. Is that where we're going? Okay, yes. Uh, we talk haven't really me. addressed the Friars in a detailed way. I, we, right, we just keep we just keep mentioning that they keep winning. <laughs> I yep. feel like oh, Providence won again. Yeah, look at what Iku is doing. <laughs> right. So oh, I, Providence, seventeen I think, and two for the first time in like thirty years. Oh, Providence. Ed Cooley just you know passed Dave Gabbett for I believe second on the all time wins list at the school it's mm-hmm. it's casual yeah I, I did want to talk about them for a second though after they went into the Cintas center and won in a game in which nate watson scored zero points that in and of itself mm-hmm. and it was because jared bynum sorry i was a little i was a little uh, mesmerized by the fact that providence is still 40th in, at, yes in the net ranking and 47th or something in Kenpom. yeah what are we doing i'm not exactly sure what else is they're they're supposed yeah. to do especially from a net rankings perspective yeah. they're like they're 16 they have no bad losses literally zero they're they're where'd i where'd they go where'd they go excuse me hello hello sorry they're 33rd my apologies okay they're 47 like, in Kenpom. but like four and one in quad one they're eight and two across quads one and two and Gonzaga, who's first, is six and two across quads one and two. And they have zero quad three wins. They are nine and zero in quad four. Shouts to the what most of the West Coast Conference there. But like Arizona is is also six and two and only two and two in quad one, and they're second. And like, and you can point to because you can you can use the like preseason predictive stuff. Arizona wasn't predicted to be second in the net. Yeah, I'm sure they were ahead of well ahead of Providence, but. Sure, I mean, sure, but like not, not that, not that far. I mean, not to the point where, yeah, it just, anyways. Yeah. So Jared Bynum and Al Durham just had 38 and eight <laughs> casually, and Bynum pulled up and hit the big three to, to win mm. the game at the end. They got torched inside. Nunji, I love, I love Jack Nunji. I know I've said this before, but he was really good. You're, you're strangely, you're strangely yeah. uh, into Jack Nunji. He's on my, yeah, my strange favorite players team. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Zach Fremantle had some good moments too. Ed Crosswell was good coming off the bench for Providence. So they got something inside, but by and large, Xavier's big dominated. But it, those guards, and, and Noah Herco had a couple moments that were good. Those guards were enough though. And that's, I've, I've mentioned this before, but that was my concern coming in is, okay, do they have enough around Nate Watson? Can those guards give you what you need to go from a decent slash good team to a great one? And they are answering emphatically, yes, they are. They carry this team. And now the other part of this is that Adam Kunkel and Nate Johnson went 0 of 8 from 3 and Xavier could not hit the broadside of a barn for extended periods of this game. <laughs> it was a rough shooting performance. But Providence, on their original schedule, 
and then I'll go through the games that have gotten postponed and you'll see why I'm doing that. But their actual schedule of games that they have remaining, they have exactly one difficult opponent left away from home in terms of the top teams in the Big East. And that is Villanova, who obviously they still have to play twice. And that's going to determine how this race turns out. But the rest of these games, they're getting at home. They already handled Marquette on the road, for example. Now, the three games they had postponed at Creighton, at Seton Hall, and home against UConn. So there's that part. But they also already beat UConn on the road. They have some tough games that still need to get fit in here. But we're getting to the point, after they just won at Xavier, where if they can beat Villanova at home, it is going to be difficult for Villanova to win this conference outright. Mm -hmm. Simply because Providence is continuing to win game after game. And I I don't think it's going to end. They're just a really good basketball team led by a really good coach. And right, Nate Watson is having a plenty good year. But from a, when it comes to the question that you ask about, hey, can the guards produce well enough on a night in, night out basis to be good teams? Nate Watson is averaging three and a half points fewer than he was last year. And that's a very, you know, elementary way of, of looking at it, right? Because there's, there's certainly more to it, but on a very elementary level, um, Providence is still scoring enough points to win games and Nate Watson is scoring fewer of those points than he did last year. I, I mean, like I said, maybe oversimplification, but that probably means there are other guys yeah. on the team that are like, scoring enough points and Nate Watson is not the leading scorer on this team this year. It's Al Durham by like half a point, but still the point is still the same that if, if the guards weren't up to producing at a level that needed to be, they wouldn't be 17 and two, regardless of who they had or hadn't played yet. Yeah. And you add that fact with the fact that this is a new backcourt. Right. Where, right. It's not just that you kind of, some guys got better. There are actually new it at Koi went into the transfer portal to solve some of his problems from last year. And here they are having a, a phenomenal season. So they got some tough road games left, assuming they can find a way to get all these postponed games put in there again, because nobody wants to go to Creighton, nobody wants to go to Seton Hall, but they're in a really good position. They're just sort of quietly mowing down every high level team in this conference on the road, not named Villanova. <laughs> it's, it's And the impressive. only reason it's not in Villanova yet, I mean, <laughs> right. other than most teams don't, mow down Villanova but like they just haven't they haven't gotten, gotten a chance, chance to right <laughs> right uh, I just want this is gonna I really believe this race is going to go down to the wire and that Providence isn't going anywhere so I just wanted to to talk about that for a minute after another top 25 road win it, it, there are four teams absolutely in the race to win the Big East and two of them are Marquette and Providence not Seton Hall Seton Hall is three and six I mean, the, the, the dogs, the Butler dogs have the same record in the Big East as, as Seton Hall does right now. Um, but, like, it's not Xavier. It's Marquette, UConn, and Providence up there with Villanova. And UConn being up there, not necessarily a surprise. And they've only played, right, they've had their troubles, too. They've only mm-hmm. played seven conference games and are technically a game and a half back. But there are no games back in the loss column because they just haven't played that many games yet. Um, but the point is still the same is that this is, if you told me on January 27th, 
that these would be the teams in the race and that Villanova would be eight and two and not like kind of have at least a, that they weren't at least by themselves atop the conference. I'd be very, very surprised. And if you told me it was Providence, that was seven and one, I might be even, even more surprised. With Marquette hanging around. Right. With Marquette now, how many have we won in a row? Seven, right? We started 0-3 in conference play. Yeah. And not only are, have they won the last seven, they've beaten Providence, Seton Hall, Villanova, Xavier, and uh, Seton Hall again. Yep. And now, after they play, and now for their troubles, they get to play Providence, Villanova, UConn in their next three. Yeah. This is, this is fun. I'm so glad. But then they get to, the but then they get to again. end with, right. Then they get to end with Butler, Georgetown, Creighton, Butler, yep. DePaul, St. John's. Yep. That's what you, and, and all of a sudden, like finishing with 13 wins in the Big East or 14 wins in the Big East is all of a sudden much easier when you, when you've done what you've done so far in, in conference play. But anyways, the Big East is way more intriguing than, than I thought it was going to be from a number of teams that I actually think are good, but also from a multiple teams with just a month less left in conference play, roughly, that there are still four teams that could absolutely that absolutely sit here this morning thinking they have a chance to win the conference. Absolutely. It's beautiful. It is beautiful. Anything else on on the reaction side of things? Anything else you want to touch on that happens happened in the last few days? I was just gonna go right into throwing out my idea. Hit me. I don't know. I don't know where his head's at at the moment, considering how the last six or so months have gone. Mm-hmm. If I'm Xavier, I am seriously pushing, maybe not at this moment. Maybe you see how the rest of the season goes. I am seriously pushing Chris Mack to return. I'm, I'm certainly making the call. Now, right, my initial pushback would be things like if you want him to be able to come back, if you want him to come back and you see him say things like 25 years of coaching, 13 as a head coach, this is a quote from him, quote, yeah. but after 25 years of coaching, including the last 13 as a head coach, it is time for me to focus on my family and spend more time being a dad. Now, you would think that perhaps – Cincinnati would be a better place to do that and like to be in a place that he was there longer maybe not but at least if you want him to come if you want to come to him in a place that is perhaps he's perhaps most likely to be like okay let's have a conversation right this second might not be the case which I think is kind of what you were getting at but that was the first reaction I had to this too I was like I mean we just talked about the race at the top of the big East and Xavier once again, is not really a part of it in a year that we thought Xavier should once again, be a part of it in a year in which Travis Steele said, yeah, we should, we think we should win this conference this year. It's I'll put it this way. If I'm Travis Steele and I'm trying to maintain my status as the head coach at Xavier, this isn't exactly the timing that I'd love to see Chris Mack losing his job at Louisville being, you know, one of the more successful coaches at the school in the history of Xavier basketball, that's uh, that's a timing I'm not really thrilled about because that just sort of 
we like to say fails the out loud test around here, but that like passes the out loud test that like, yeah, Chris Mack needs in theory might need a job. Let's go ask him if he wants to come back to a place that he had quite a bit of success. Yeah. And always will have a special place in his heart because right. that, I mean, that is his school. Right. Period. Coaching, right. playing, that's his school. And right. like you said, Midwest, his roots, his wife's roots, everything is in the Ohio Kentucky region. So even if it's a year and a half from now, we're talking about coming back for not next season, but the following season after taking time off, like you, you read that quote. So maybe Travis Steele gets another year, but if you're Xavier, this has got to get your wheels turning. And here are, here are some numbers. And then I want to actually get to the point with Chris Mack and Louisville, which is obviously the news here. Chris Mack won more than 60% of his games and made the NCAA tournament. Seven of eight seasons at Xavier, including all five, the team was in the Big East. He had one not-so-great year in the A-10. He did it his first two seasons at Louisville, didn't do it last year, was not going to do it this year. And I'm counting 1920. Obviously, they didn't make the NCAA tournament, but they were 24-7. and seven. They had been the number one team in the country for a couple of weeks, if you remember that. They were, going, they were an NCAA tournament team, so I'm just giving him that. which leads to questions of, right? Okay, so before he had to construct the rosters and recruit guys, it was going much better with the players he inherited. And B, like we talked about when he got suspended, it's going downhill pretty quickly. And if it's going downhill, there can't be any nonsense off the court. And so that combination of he created headaches the team was not producing and it's Louisville who has a very low tolerance level for teams that don't produce. Not a good combination and not a good look for him. I'm, I'm starting to wonder. And he, he did so well at Xavier that he deserves, if he wants it to me, he deserves a third opportunity to go prove himself again is that he really is a high level coach. And it wasn't just the environment at Xavier wherever I, I'm willing, if I'm a team, I'm willing to say, sort of give him the benefit of the doubt and say he was too good at Xavier for me to, to believe that what happened at Louisville is going to happen here too. But there's also, I, the grass isn't always greener somewhere else. And I, I have to believe Xavier would take him back with open arms. So to me, it just, that's all I can think. It just, it makes too much sense because he understands that program so well. And they're clearly not the same since he left. And he hasn't been the same since he left them. And right. I, there wouldn't be any animosity, I don't feel like. Right? He didn't leave on bad terms. It was all Louisville watching. Mm. Fair enough. <laughs> you know. Right. I, I would think it would be a, right. Even if Xavier fans were like, man, I thought we were, I thought we were like, we, you had us like, in your basketball soul to be as cheesy as possible. It's like, right, right. like had we not gotten to the point where maybe you wouldn't leave and no matter who came calling, Yeah. but also like if Ohio state, like the, the way that I makes the, that I might think about this, that makes even more sense to me is like, if Ohio state fired Chris Holtman tomorrow and like Chris Holtman called Butler and was like, Hey, I want to come back and coach. They'd be like, yeah, absolutely. Come on back. Even though like, he left 
after tweeting about how right on w- much worse terms than Chris Mack did. Right, even if though, even though Chris Holtman by all accounts like tried to say no to Ohio State in the first place, and then they were like, okay, we'll give you twice what we <laughs> wanted to give you originally, and then you just get to a point where like you just can't say no to that amount of money. You just can't. Um, that like Butler would be like, yeah, come on back. Yeah. And I would have to think that considering what Chris Mack did at that school, which is take Xavier to a place that like Xavier just doesn't really go. Nope. That, uh, that they might be uh, open to that idea. But then of course, to, to circle back to Chris Mack here, it doesn't is the mo- how much of the motivation for him leaving and there seeming to be a mutual agreement to part ways at least to a certain extent right and we can we can talk about okay how much of it was actually a mutual agreement and how much of it was we'll say out loud to the media that it was a virtual a mutual agreement nobody will ever know the answer to that question but from what he's said nobody's forcing him to say things like I want to focus on being a dad. Yeah. So, and, and you don't fire a coach in the middle of a season, like, right. That there are, there are clearly other things going on here rather than sure. just, we want a coaching change because we're not entirely put. I, you, these kind of, these situations don't happen in the middle of the season that are completely one-sided. Right. I would agree to, to your point. Right. There are, there was at least in a, a, okay, maybe this is at the very least a, maybe this is better in the best interest of me too. Mm-hmm. We'll never know exactly how that went down, but yeah, sorry to your point. No, 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 no. Perfect. But it'll be interesting to see, right? Because he also says things like, I'm not sure what my, so is it a, right. If the idea is like, I'd rather not be on, like, I'd rather be able to go like work from nine, you know, 8 a.m. to 5 p.m. and then go home and have dinner with my family every night rather than missing dinner two nights a week because I'm coaching a game and also missing dinner two more nights a week because we're watching film for the game the next day kind of thing. And, you know, maybe he returns to Xavier in a role that's different, whether it's, you know, on an administrative side or maybe we just, don't see Chris Mack all that publicly again, like maybe that'll happen, but it'll be certainly be something to monitor because if he wants to coach college basketball again, like we could like 330 <laughs> teams in the country would gladly welcome Chris Mack to coach their basketball team. Right. Um, if not more than that, there might be a list of 10 that were, that wouldn't think about it at all because of how much they love the situation they're currently in. Um, but, uh, so all that to say, if he wants to be back, he will, but maybe he, uh, he doesn't want to be back at least not immediately. Yeah. It's a, I have a hard time believing he's going to walk away entirely I just, for, for good. I would agree with that not as a, a commentary in any way, just I believe we're going to see him back. But yeah, it might be a little while. Maybe he does TV. Maybe we just don't hear from him. Yeah. Maybe he pops up at Xavier just hanging out. Who knows? Yeah. But that's a – wanted to address that just because you don't have a high-profile coach at a high-profile program leaving in the middle right. of the season every day. Right. And, you know, when the agreement, you know, 
one part of the agreement is that Louisville is going to pay you your the four point eight million dollars they owe you over three years. Like you've got some some wiggle room there. To, yeah, I mean, to do what you want. He's making something like I think I saw Dana O'Neill tweeted he's making something like thirteen thousand dollars a week. Yeah, <laughs> he's what doing if, fine. He's gonna he's gonna be he's gonna be just okay, which is which is good because then he doesn't have to be hindered by by that kind of thing. Um, you know, altering the decision he might want to make anyways anything else on chris mack anything else on michigan state on ucla on arizona you got anything else big weekend looking forward to it it is a big weekend huge weekend for the u.s, US men's national team huge oh. oh i was talking about the big 12 sec challenge but well and i'm talking about the u.s men's <laughs> national team i'm talking about the u.s men's national team but yes uh, we've got uh, a handful of those games as well on Saturday. We're just going to write Duke Louisville, speaking of, at the KFC Yum! Exclamation Point Center. <laughs> LSU on the way to TCU. TCU 7-2. and two. Yep. Sorry. Yes. TCU. I swear my ESPN typoed. I was like, wait a second. TCU is not 7-2 and two in the Big 12. TCU, who's 3-3, three and three, but like has a win at Iowa State. Um, well, on their Certainly, way to the NCAA tournament. Right. A team that, you know, LSU would, who's now two and three, under 500 in SEC play. Um, anyways, uh, Oklahoma on their way to Auburn. Baylor on the road at Bama. I'm here for that. Kansas, Kentucky at Kansas. Of course, that's the, that's the granddaddy of them all. Um, Tennessee at Texas. If you told me at the beginning of the season that they would, those two teams would play and Tennessee that one of those teams would be ranked and it wasn't going to be Texas. I'd be, I'd be pretty surprised by that, but yeah, like you said, Ohio state Purdue on the big 10 side of things on Saturday, and then we'll grace you with our presence again on Monday. So we'll talk about whatever needs to be talked about at that point, but that's the slate for the weekend. Anything else before we get out of here? That's all I got. Cool. Our, 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 our psyche on Monday will very much uh, depend on whether or not the U.S. Men's National Team manages to beat El Salvador uh, tonight, hopefully. Please, Lord, can we beat El Salvador? That would, really, that would really be sad. Anyways, thank you so much for listening. Please subscribe to the, this. You know what, Josh? We're going to take a moment, and we're going to try that again. All right, please subscribe to the Jays for Days podcast on our podcast, Spotify, and Google Podcast. Follow us on Twitter at Jays for Days Pod. We'll be back on Monday. Thanks so much for listening to this edition of the Jays for Days podcast. I'm Josh. He's Josh, and we will see you later.